Hey, well, how about that? I think I should start over. Absolutely. Thank you for that, guys. That was uh, wonderful. Yeah, Matthew 5 begins the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus, after beginning his public ministry, has his first and what we call oftentimes his greatest sermon. And in the first 12 verses of that Sermon on the Mount, it's what we refer to as the Beatitudes. And what we see in this section, in the Beatitudes, seems to be a descriptive depiction of a person's life once they have genuinely or truly repented of their sins as evidenced by the work that God does in the inner person when they come to faith in Christ by means of the new covenant, which leads to a new birth, which means we have new hearts. And from our new hearts, we have new desires that desire to walk with Christ, to be a follower of his which Jesus describes very well for us in the first 12 verses. If you recall, uh, simply, John the Baptist came preaching for a repentance, uh, a baptism of repentance. He said the kingdom of heaven's at hand. He was the forerunner for the Messiah. When Jesus began his public ministry, he started preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here the king is at hand, and he's preaching this. So repentance seems to be the, uh, the means by which one would have entrance into said kingdom of Jesus. And so then when Jesus shows up and he starts preaching these beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So again, that same theme. So when we look at the beatitudes, it seems very clearly that Jesus is giving more color commentary, more description to this sometimes often uh, confusing word of repentance because there is a repentance a worldly repentance that perhaps is sorrowful for being caught or for being wrong but it's not a biblical concept of repentance and so it's important that we understand this and Jesus knew this and it seems very plainly in the context of the scriptures that he's laying out for us what biblical repentance looks like so as mentioned here it was in chapter 3, we were here about 10 weeks ago when uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and again, he's calling for repentance because, he says, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. The Old Testament prophets had been prophesying, we read it from Isaiah today, about one who would come and establish a king and rule in the, in the place of King David, his father. And John is saying that the one that I'm preceding is, is he. And uh, this, again, this word repentance is from this Greek word here, metanoia. We looked at this about 10 weeks ago. I'm just bringing it up again for us this morning. Because this, this, the concept that we see in the Beatitudes fits very well with this Greek word here, metanoia. And so from the uh, Greek-English lexicon, Lou and Nida, it says the definition it gives here is to change one's way. Of life. I mean, right out of the chute, the idea of repentance. John's preaching repentance, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. You want entrance into Christ's kingdom? One need to repent. And so repentance, it says, is to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. One of the Beatitudes that we saw is blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, how, how, does, how do we go from not hungering and thirsting for righteousness to hungering and thirsting for righteousness? It comes by, by way of repentance, genuine biblical repentance. 
that leads to a change of one's way of living. And so no longer do we seek to live in accordance to the patterns that we loved ourselves because we recognize that those patterns were patterns that were sinful and against the standards of God. And so we, we kind of grieved over that and we mourned because we realized that that grieved a holy God. And so we repent, you turn from that, you have a change of thought and thus a change of attitude with regard to sin, which is what we do because we have a sin nature by birth. It's just the way it is. And it also changes us with regard to our understanding and a desire for righteousness. So to repent, to change one's way, repentance. So again, genuine biblical repentance isn't simply a matter of the mind, though it certainly is that. It's also a matter of the life. The life is the, the canvas on which a truly changed mind, heart, is most easily seen. It was James in his little epistle at the end of the book, Jesus' half-brother. Uh, James said, you see that a man is justified by what he does, not by claiming to have faith alone. You see that. You see. What do you see with? You see with your eyes. You see that a man is justified by what he does. So when you see people and you see what they do and you see how they conduct their lives, you can see if they've practiced genuine repentance. And the Beatitudes give us a beautiful outlining of what that repentant heart that has come to God looks like. So again, Jesus himself, well, actually, this one here, Matthew 3, is John the Baptist. Remember the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Um, Pharisees were very legalistic. I mean, they added to the law. They, they found new ways of trying to add a sense of self-worth of human based righteousness, a works righteousness. They were really good at that. So these Pharisees and uh, Sadducees came to John for his baptism of repentance. And so Jesus said to them, you know, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Because again, from the Old Testament perspective, when the Messiah shows up to establish a kingdom, wrath is going to come with it. There's going to be a purging, a cleansing, a new heavens and a new earth, all those kind of concepts. And I'm just saying that vaguely, but that's going to come with it and John saying who warned you to flee from that to come and so they get baptized by John and then on their way out of the waters and they're heading back to their place what did John say to them well he said this he says to them hey guys bear fruit in keeping with repentance don't just don't just go back Pharisee and Sadducee to living life as you once were so clearly John even understand stood clearly that the idea of repentance was a change of life and he's calling these Pharisees and these Sadducees to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So you went into the water. You, you said you wanted the kingdom of, of heaven. I said the, king, the, the king's here and the kingdom's following. And you guys showed up and you want it. And so you entered into the water and you got baptized. Okay, well listen, true repentance. If you truly mean that from the heart, it's going to change the way you live. So bear fruit that's in keeping with repentance. Jesus, again, he came preaching and he preached the same thing. He came saying the exact same thing repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and what we know for certain is that this kingdom of heaven the one that's at hand is the fulfillment of God's promise to send a messiah to send Christ to establish an earthly kingdom and to reestablish through Christ King David's royal dynasty now you may recall one of the primary reasons the Jewish people of Christ's day rejected him was because he didn't show up doing what they thought he was going to do, which was to establish an earthly kingdom. 
they didn't have the ability to see in the Old Testament prophets that there were two advents, one where he comes to be the, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who was going to die on the cross to take away the sins of the world, and that he was coming again a second time then to establish a kingdom and rule from his father David's throne. And since he didn't start establishing said kingdom immediately, they said, nope, that can't be the guy. And so they crucified him in fulfillment of God's plan ultimately because God's providence has sway over all things. But nonetheless, this is one of the things that led them to reject Christ. He didn't do what they thought he was supposed to do on their timetable. Listen to what the, um, the angel Gabriel said to Mary about Christ, the child, while in her womb in connection with this coming kingdom of King David's. The angel in Luke 1 and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. So it's without question that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to bring a Messiah, a king, who would rule from and over the throne of his father David, and it was a kingdom that would have no end. Jesus is thus the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. So for anyone wishing to become a part of Christ's everlasting and eternal kingdom, of which there will be no end, John came saying repentance is the means of entrance. Repentance of sin, a change of life, a turning away from your normal patterns of life that are sinful against a holy God and following hard after him instead. So again, the great value of Jesus' teaching of the Beatitudes is that he shows us what repentance genuinely looks like in one of God's kids. So the teaching of Jesus here is likened unto a mirror into which all must look when claiming to have truly repented. Because if we fail to see the signs of life actively descriptive there in the Beatitudes, not descripting or defining our lives itself, and we don't see that sign of life growing, then I say we're right to question if our so-called confession of faith was truly rooted in a proper understanding of biblical repentance. As we know, there's a worldly sorrow, again, a worldly repentance, different from a biblical repentance. And I can promise you, this isn't something that we can afford to wing it here. Eternity's at stake. And so Jesus is doing everyone on planet earth a huge favor by kind of describing and defining what biblical repentance looks like so that all can look unto it and say do i have entrance do i have a desire to have entrance into his eternal kingdom because the king himself said these very words this is what he is giving by way of description of what it looks like to be one who has truly repented one of his kids and so i want us to just review these Briefly, before we get to chapter, verse 10 this morning and finish up the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And as we looked at what poor in spirit means, it's the recognition. So God's children are going to recognize that, that they were beggars in need of his bread, that he was the living bread, he's the, living, he's the word of life. 
we're poor in spirit. We, we gave up our own hopes of thinking we were smart enough to figure out how to make life work apart from God. We're poor in spirit. We recognize that we have a need for God. We recognize that we as humans, we fail more, more often than we succeed, and it's because of our own self-will and our own self-interest and our own self-desires. And so we try to, we recognize that we must die to ourselves and live for someone much greater, and that's God himself. So we're poor in spirit. And what does he say? Notice the very first thing, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Repentance is the means by which you do that. And if you've truly repented, you have a proper perspective of who you are in relationship to God. And you're poor in spirit. And you also are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And why do we mourn? Well, like when Peter sinned, what did Peter do? When Peter rejected Christ three times, it says that Peter went and he wept bitterly. When Peter sinned against God, what did he do? He mourned. There's a sense of mourning. When we sin against God, we mourn over that. When you've been born again, when you've genuinely repented and you sin against the holiness of God, there's a sense of sorrow of heart because we know that he's the one who sent his son to die on the cross to give us the free forgiveness of sins. How could I continue to sin against the holiness of God? And so we have a mourning within our hearts. We, we recognize our need for him. We, we mourn over our sins. And those who mourn, they shall be comforted. God's promised comfort to those. Listen, being a Christian doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to always do the right thing every single time. No, that's why we mourn. And that's why we have a daily confession of sins. And he comforts those who mourn correctly. Blessed are those who are gentle. Another word for here would be meek. Something about salvation that transforms us. Have you ever noticed in youth how cocksure everybody is? They know everything. I mean, they just know everything. Just wait till you have teenagers. You'll figure it out. They know everything about everything all the time perfectly. There's something about it. But let me tell you, when God gets a hold of your life and opens your eyes, and when you realize who you are in relationship to him and that you're poor in spirit, and now you're mourning over your sin, you become a whole lot more meek, a whole lot more gentle in life. It changes you. Remember the word repentance dealt with the change of life, right? Um, and gentle, meek people are going to be those who inherit the earth. Listen, Jesus' eternal kingdom, uh, unlike a lot of people think, oh, if you die, we're going to go and we're going to be in, the, in heaven forever. Listen, no, Jesus is coming back again, and he's going to establish a kingdom on earth. And his eternal state is going to be established on an earth. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so they will inherit the earth. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth so at some point. I mean, some people think, well, Pastor Ben, that just seems so far-fetched. And I sit there and I think to myself, how can you not think that the fact that we're just sitting on a planet today that's floating in outer space, that we can't even figure out how far out it goes, that that's not far-fetched? How did we get here? If there wasn't a God who spoke and the galaxies leapt into existence... How? Well, and that God left us a word, and it says right there in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So if the same God who created the heavens and the earth, and this is the earth that I'm on right now, and he says later that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, why is that so far-fetched and hard to understand? It's really not. He makes us gentle. We're going to inherit this earth. Blessed are those who, what? And here, notice this, the, energy, the hunger, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Something about the new heart that changes from the inside gives us an interest in things of God. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is one of the easiest 
beatitudes that we can look at to say, is this me? Is this descriptive of me? Ah, man, poor in spirit. Okay, I mourn sometimes. Do I do it right? But do I truly hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I want to be a practitioner of righteousness? Am I trying to practice righteousness, meaning just living according to God's standard, God's ways, things that would make God happy and pleasing? Am I trying to become a practitioner of that? Do I have a hunger and a thirst for that very thing? Listen, these are going to be the ones who are satisfied. Merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Listen, we are, God has made us through salvation. He's made us agents of mercy because we see from the, from the scriptures that God will have mercy on whom he has mercy. The very fact that we're saved is because God chose to have mercy on us. We were conceived in iniquity, born in sin. We inherited Adam's sin nature. We were without hope in the first Adam, but then Jesus Christ showed up, the second Adam, and now we have hope. And God, through mercy, has opened spiritually blind eyes to see truth, and we come to faith in him. So we are literally agents of mercy who have received mercy and continue to receive mercy all the way until we enter into God's kingdom forever and ever. And then the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart from the heart you really love God. I mean, you really do. You have a love for Jesus Christ. Your heart's been sanctified. You're going to see God. Adam walked in the cool of day with God. They shall see God. That's unbelievable. It's even hard to conceive of. I understand. And this is why we live by faith, not sight. We live by faith, not by sight. And then blessed are the peacemakers. As saved people, what do we do? We seek to make peace between unbelievers with God. So we're peacemakers. We preach the gospel. We share our lives in love. We let our light shine. We're like salt and and light. Thus we're called the sons of God. You see how Jesus here is giving us a really beautiful description of what repentance looks like. We have this sketch, this color commentary, this description of such people who will continue to bear fruit in keeping with repentance if their claim and profession of faith was legitimate. And what we're going to see today from verses 10 through 12 in finishing up the Beatitudes is in a general way, which is to say not always in the exact same way or to the same degree, but just in a general way, those who have truly repented of their sins and are following Jesus Christ in the, the, what we might call the warp and woof of their lives, uh, then they also will, will experience this last beatitude where Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is, the, and here we see this, the book in the kingdom of heaven. Started off in verse 3 with the kingdom of heaven, and then the last promise is the kingdom of heaven. So it's really pretty contextually solid to understand that this is coming from what John said repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Jesus, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Jesus says, Let me give you a description of what repentance looks like. You want to enter into the kingdom? This is what it looks like in your life. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of Christ. 
So the climax of these Beatitudes is a rather sobering reality, isn't it? Jesus says that those who truly want to be his disciples, to come after him, to be followers of him, will inevitably be persecuted for it. Which lets us know, again, in a general sense, that righteous living, a Godward life, will generate hostility and antagonism from an unbelieving world. The world's philosophy, worldly doctrines of morality, this world system that is opposed to the word of God and opposed to his moral standards and opposed to his demands and his, ultimately, his call for repentance from sin. Isn't that great news? Didn't you sign up for that whenever you went into the waters of repentance? Yes! The world may not love me like it once did as a result of turning from it and turning to follow Christ. I've shared this with you before. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I lost every one of my friends. And I purposefully walked away from them. I had to because we had been partying too many years together. And I knew if I stayed with them, I'd probably keep doing the exact same things. And so I set them down in a circle one night. And we talked about it, and I said, listen, guys, i got to tell you something. I'm leaving this place, and it's not because I don't love you. I love you. You're, you're my brothers. We've been doing this since junior high. But I've come to faith in Christ, and I can't stay. They're like, yeah, yeah, hey, a drink for Ben. Ah. And so I got up, and I left, and I walked out of that room, and I never went back. Still love those guys. As a matter of fact, I got a, I got a text message from one of them um, since I've been here in Jinx, and as a matter of fact, since we started Jinx Bible Church. Uh, he sent me a text message. Oh, it's not a text message. What's that thing called? It's a messenger. Is it messenger? Messages? Something like that? So uh, he sent it to me there. Well, I never look at that stuff. And so I missed it for over two years. <laughs> it sat there in that little spot for something like two years, and I, I must have said to Lisa, hey, what's this little thing up here, this little mark thing? Oh, well, that, if you click on that, it'll take you over to this. So I clicked on it, and there, Matt Bethay had sent me this message, and I looked at it, and it was over two years ago. And we had put, I'd posted a video about when we were remodeling the space here. And um, I hadn't heard from Matt Bethay. He was one of the guys sitting in that circle on that night in October of 1988. And uh, Matt Bethay was the bass guitarist of the, of the band that went and played down in Deep Ellum a couple times a week, and we roadied for her. And so Matt Bethay sent me this, um, this message, or message, and he said, hey, I saw your video, which I was kind of walking around this building while it was being remodeled, and I just was saying, hey, Jinx Bible, it's getting remodeled, ever. I can't remember. Come, something, I don't know. And so he said, hey, I saw your video. That's really awesome. Da, da, da. He said, um, I haven't talked to you since that night. And uh, he said, I just wanted to let you know, that really impacted me. And I've never had a chance to tell you. And he says, um, I can't tell you exactly every last word that he said, because I can't remember it all. But um, he basically said, um, when you got up, after telling us everything that you told us, and you got up and you walked out the door, and you were leaving, he said, we, we could see your shadow as it was crossing by the windows. He said, the only thing, he said there was a, deathly, a death si silence. He said, the only thing I wish I would have done now 
is back then got up and walked out with you. And so I'm going, wow, two years ago. So I'm like, thanks, Matt. That, well, that's unbelievable. That's awesome. Praise God. You know? So I went and I, looked up, I went to his Facebook thing, and Matt had become a believer in Jesus Christ and was following Christ and was attending a local church and serving within his local church. And so he just felt the need to reach out and share that with me. And um, the reality is, is um, whenever you make a decision to follow Christ, um, it will be costly. And that's why I say in a general sense, listen, if we try to go into the scriptures and we look at the, the kind of persecution that the apostles went through, we're, in America, we're not going to have any way to kind of associate our lives with their lives with the kind of persecution that they faced. But the persecution that they faced was in direct correlation to the fact that they were a follower of Jesus Christ. The worldly philosophies, the worldly system, whenever you start preaching that there's one way, there's one truth, there's one life, and no man goes to the Father except through him, you find yourself in opposition with world systems, man-made religions, world philosophies, people trying to do it their way. You know, was it Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. You know, we all want to do it our own way. And God is saying, no, you need, you need to submit yourself and be humble before the holy and living God. And so one of the things of repentance you recognize there was poor in spirit. You recognize that you need God. Now, this idea of being persecuted, we see this throughout the New Testament epistles. When Paul was writing to the young pastor Timothy, notice what he said. He said, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, Patience, love, perseverance, and notice, he throws it in here, persecutions and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me indeed. Now notice verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, we might just need to let that sink in. So let me ask you, is it your desire this morning to live a godly life in Christ Jesus this side of eternity or not? I noticed I didn't have any takers because you will be persecuted at some point. It's going to cost you at some point. It's going to cost you somehow, somewhere. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? If your answer is yes, again, at some point you will be persecuted for Christ's name's sake. Paul lived the gospel life, and thus he warned the churches. So here he's warning a pastor, Timothy, who pastored at Ephesus. Here he's warning the church of Galatia when he wrote to the Galatians there. He said, And you brothers, in accordance with Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh was persecuting him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. Persecution follows as a result of trusting in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he says to them, Brothers, only live, in, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances and that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending together for the faith of the gospel. You've changed your mind. You've repented about what you once thought that Je who Jesus was, to now who he truly said he was, he's God. In no way alarmed by your opponents. 
which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake, having the same struggle which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Are we starting to see a pattern here? I could have added some more text here for us just to indicate that this teaching that Jesus um, started with here in the Beatitudes and the Gospels permeated the churches in the first century. As, as the apostles were writing to the churches, not only did they experience such reality, they were warning and preparing those within the church that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, persecutions will follow without question. So all who desire to live a Godward life will be persecuted. And it's not a matter of if, but when. Unless, of course, Jesus was wrong. Maybe he misspoke. Maybe he was just being a little hyperbolic. I don't think so. Imagine a man who accepted a new job in which he had to work with especially profane people. When at the end of the first day, his wife asked him how he managed, he said, terrific. <laughs> they never guessed that I was a Christian. Are there ways to avoid persecution? Well, absolutely. Never let your light shine. Never have a, a moral standing on anything. Just say, hey, what's good for you is good for you. Just keep to myself. I want to keep my job. It's, it's easy to not, uh, or to go through the world and perhaps um, miss out on this, this blessing, this beatitude of, of persecution. As long as people have no reason to believe that we're Christians, uh, no reason to believe that we are earnestly desiring a Godward life in the here and now, that we recognize that we are saved by grace through faith freely, that Jesus paid it all, that our sin was poured out on him at the cross, But as soon as we start living in accordance with who God is making us to be as defined by the Beatitudes, it's then that we discover that we will share in the reproach of Christ. Just this week, I went to Fox News, knowing that these were the verses that landed on me this week in the preaching of God's word. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go to Fox News and see what I can see. Is there anything interesting on there that might indicate this principle that those who desire to live a Godward life will be persecuted. And I went to Fox News and on, let's see, on December the 7th, this is when this was published, Kirk Cameron is denied story hour slot by public libraries for his new faith-based kids book. You can kind of see that right there. Can you see that? Let me see if I can get Okay. Actor, writer has not gotten a single yes from the 50-plus public libraries his publisher has contacted so far. Message, messaging does not align, he was told. So when you go through and you read the article, Kirk Cameron is a Christian. He's an outspoken Christian. It kind of cost him his career in Hollywood. And he has written a, a, a book, a faith-based book for kids that, that extols the virtue of 
biblical marriage of one man and one woman and fidelity all the way to the end, that there's just two genders, male and female. Um, messaging does not align now with public libraries. So I thought perhaps this is just a, an example of a modern, just on, what was it, uh, December the 7th, an example of how when you go public and you make it known that you have been, that you've repented and that you are now from the heart desiring to live in a manner that's pleasing to God and you go public, it will cost you friends. It will cost you like Kirk Cameron. It cost him a, a pretty significant role in Hollywood. And now it's costing, and all he wants to do is he wants to go in into these libraries. You know, like these little times where the authors will show up and they'll read their books and the kiddies are here. Hey, boys and girls, listen, God made man, Adam and Eve and he brought them together and, and, they, and, he, and he makes them husband and wife and he's just wanting to tell, that's not the message we want. But you know what, the publisher, and now if you go and you look this up, you can look it up, it's right here, it's Fox, go look it up, read this. Do you know who is getting space in public libraries? Yeah, what, what is um, messaging and what is in alignment with, with these slots to get little kitties out here is everything in the LGBTQ plus community. Oh, and also the drag queens. They get space. But a, a faith-based book that just comes straight out of the scriptures, let me tell you, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and you say well this isn't the this this persecution that perhaps or, or suffering or or ridicule that Kirk Cameron's going through isn't what the apostle Paul went through exactly it's not America for the last 250 years we've been like in this bubble it was founded on Judeo-biblical principles it was founded by people who came over here whether all of them were Christians or not we can debate that it doesn't matter they founded it upon biblical principles and for 250 years we've been under this magic bubble of the gospel and if, if you haven't noticed over the last 50 years, it's bursting. And we, if you want to know what we're going to look like in another 50 years, just take a look at Europe. I promise you, the pedophiles are next. They will eventually win their day in court. Somehow, I don't know, it seems unbelievable, but the things that we're seeing in our culture today, when I was a young lad, I would have said, that's impossible. We're never going to embrace that. Are you kidding me? When I was in junior high and high school, if you'd have told me that what's happening today was going to be, I would have said, you're out of your mind. And I think all you guys that are probably 45 and up would say the same thing. We'd have never have guessed it. We're on a slippery slope here in the good United States of America. And the good news is, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus and have truly repented, guess what? Your ability to let your light shine and to be salt, a preserver of what's good and right is going to put you at odds against the world in a way that you're never going to have expected. And under God's providence, this is just what has fallen upon you in the course of history and time over which none of us can, can control but God alone. Again, this is just one example from this past week. Can you see why you need a church? Can you see why you need like-minded people to, 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 to fellowship with? The church gathers to be encouraged, and then it scatters to go do the work of the evangelist. 
It scatters to go make disciples. Jesus left his church with one commission, go make disciples. And he never said, by the way, he never said, and beat people over the head with it. He just said, water and plant. Let your light shine. Just let people know who you are. Why is your life the way it is? Why do you seem to be so much happier or so much more contented in your sorrows than other people? Well, I came to a place where I recognized my sin and I fell in love with Jesus instead. More of Christ, less of me. We just have to let our light shine. But as our culture is changing, the opportunity to see this reality is going to increase. I, don't, I want to say amen, but it's just like it's going to happen. We don't have to say let it be so. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. This leads us to some of the other hard teachings that Jesus leads us in the Gospels. Notice Luke 9, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. To some degree, suffering and persecution is part of the normal Christian life. And if we never experience ridicule, criticism, rejection because of our faith in Jesus or desire to live for him, we have reason both to examine and question the genuineness of our claim on Christ. Notice what Jesus says here again in Matthew 5. Number one, the persecution, insults, and slander result directly from our association with him. Notice the end of verse 11. Because of me. So listen, you may be suffering or, or being persecuted for a variety of other reasons. An obnoxious personality, a lack of personal self-discipline, and so you're always running short on um, deadlines, whether it's at school or at work, and you're always feeling persecuted by the oppressive boss or Teachers who keep saying you need to get things done, whatever it may be, etc., etc., etc. The kind of persecution Jesus is speaking of is specifically persecution that's related in association with him. When we open our mouths and we say we belong to him and we have a standard and persecution comes by means of that, that's what Jesus is talking about. Because of these things, we won't repeat them because of the time on the back of the wall. Secondly, notice the end of verse 10. I mentioned this when we first hit it. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution for the sake of and name of Jesus is one of the surest and most tangible evidences of genuine repentance, of being a child of God. So for those who truly long for heaven, and for most Christians outside of America at least, they truly have endured persecution. If you're curious if the church of Jesus Christ has been persecuted and we live in this bubble and you say, well, we're not really so much here in America. Just go outside of America. Uh, there's, go check out um, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I mean, it's a pretty thick book and it just details Christians whose lives have been given because they were at odds with the world system in which they live. 
if you haven't got if you haven't dipped your head outside of the umbrella of the tent of the umbrella of the American experience, you just don't realize the persecution was greater in this past century than it was the century before for the killing of Christians around the world. We just we live in this bubble. We live kind of benign. We live we're, we're, we've entertained ourselves to death to, this, to a certain point that we're completely oblivious to what's happening in the world around us. That's my conclusion. Thirdly, when people insult you, now here it is right here. Where is it? Right here. Don't you like a good insult? Ah, you Jesus follower. Oh, that just hurt me so bad. No, I was in, a, uh, I was in an auto zone one day just minding my own business just looking for like I don't know uh, an oil filter or something I don't know I can't remember exactly what I was looking for but I was taken off guard by this young man who approached me very erratically and was asking me for money well I, I don't know about you guys I don't I don't carry cash with me I just keep my little debit card in my pocket, and I just pay with a debit card and move on. So I kindly said, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't keep any money on me. I don't have any money. What, and he, but he didn't, he didn't quit. He was persistent. So he kind of kept, and he came back at me. And again, I said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, don't ha- I think he thought that I did have money on me, and I just didn't want to give it to him. And I, I assured him, I, I don't have any money. And, and then he kind of kept on, and then he kind of started raising his, his ire, got a little bit up, and he started getting a little bit more aggressive. And I said, oh, wait a second, man. I said, listen, um, if, you, if, you, if you need some money that badly, rather than going around the auto zone and begging people for it, you look like you're pretty fit. You're kind of getting up on me like you've got some strength in your body. Hey, I, you know, the McDonald's somewhere around here is probably hiring somebody, and more than likely you could get a job and just earn money like the normal folks do who are just trying to make their way in life, and you could go get that job. Boy, he got real angry at this point, which I think I brought on myself. And, um, and then at some point he, he, he actually said, to me, he said, I bet you're one of those Christians who don't care about the poor. <laughs> I was like, gosh, this guy's not going to quit. He's going for broke on me here. And I'm like, do I, do I have that Christian look, shorter hair now? I don't know. I mean, I, said, I was like, well, I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am a Christian. D- d- has anybody ever shared the gospel with you and told you that you too can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And then the explicitives came, and he started lacing me. So I just kind of started moving away kindly from him. He followed me down. And so I went up to the counter of the guy that was working there, and I said, can you help me with this guy? And this was in Denton, Texas. And um, it was really an interesting um, uh, insult of sorts that eventually got around to the fact that he truly did not like Christians. He didn't like God. I don't know if he must not have liked clean-cut white guys either that looked like they had money. The long and short of it is this, when people insult you. And I, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't even out actively evangelizing. It just fell into my lap. I, and it ended up kind of getting there through a unique way. But you, you will find that whenever you talk in our culture, and, and uh, this is why I don't do social media. I, I just, I can't do social media. There, there's, there's just too many landmines out there. Just too many. And you can, have, you can have no fruitful conversations through social media anyways. It, it's just impossible. So to try to have, well, the Bible's, uh, it's just, it's, it's impossible. It's a complete waste of my time and yours, from my opinion. 
if you start trying to have a witness through that kind of platform. I just use it to get pictures of my cousin's kids and watch them grow up. That's it. I want the joy of seeing my family and extended family and their kids growing. That's why I have it. That's it. So send me pictures of your growing kids. I, I'll rejoice with you. I, I love doing I, I love that. But when you start talking about your faith in the public arena, just know that insults will be coming is where I'm, is where I'm hate going. And, and remember, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Again, it's not because of you. Remember, it's because of him. If you weren't talking about Jesus, if you weren't laying out a biblical morality, they wouldn't care. It's not about you. It's about him. Peter said, who's there that can harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? Just have courage to live what you truly believe, your convictions. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do you think Peter's read the Beatitudes? Well, of course Peter has read the Beatitudes. He was with Jesus for three years. He was a part of his public ministry. He was one of his first disciples, and he was converted by God the Father early on. Peter understood the teaching of Jesus very, very plainly. Number four, verse 12. Now, this is going to seem completely at odds with just normal thinking and rationality, but let's do it anyways. Notice, rejoice and be glad, those of you who've been persecuted. Yeah. Doesn't that just seem a little bit off? You're supposed to say yes at that point. I'm sorry, am I, are they still tracking with me here? The, the answer is yes, that does seem a little bit odd. Uh, rejoice is from uh, Cairo in the Greek. It's just to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being. Don't you love to be able to rejoice in things? Well, of course, glad is from the Greek, Markarizo, to regard someone as happy or fortunate in view of favorable circumstances. So, what are the favorable circumstances? What's the, the state of which that we have happiness and well-being? Well, Jesus tells us for because your reward. Now, you've got to admit, you, you like rejoicing and you're glad when you wake up on Christmas morning and you see all those rewards under the tree, right? Like, well, those aren't even rewards. Those are gifts. But when you get something like, that's good, isn't that a point of rejoicing? Yeah, well, of course it is. Your reward in heaven is great. So what Jesus is saying to these who have been persecuted, by the way, the same way the prophets who went before them were also persecuted. He's saying, listen, you have to live with a biblical worldview. You have to remember that this isn't everything. This isn't it. This is just the beginning. It's not the end. There's an eternity, and all souls will be in eternity forever and ever, either in the presence of God or in the absence of the presence of God. For all eternity. This time sphere, this little 80 to 90 years that we perhaps may live on planet Earth is just a testing. It's a sojourning. It's a proving of our faith of our loves, of our interests, our desires. And then comes something that's going to last forever and ever. We're in these fallen bodies. Someday we will have glorified, resurrected bodies. Boy, I could go on and on here. This might just be a part one, but it's not. And I realize I'm kind of running out of time. Are you following Jesus here? Are you, are you interested? Are you even interested in rewards in heaven? Is there any interest in that at all, like rejoice and be glad because I'm being persecuted? Um, where am I? Where, let's go here. I'm being insulted, persecuted for righteousness' sake because of Jesus. 
I'm going to rejoice and be glad all the while because I'm going to keep something in mind. And what I'm keeping in mind is that there's a reward coming that's in the presence of God. And what's in heaven right now? Well, Jesus is in heaven. What's in heaven right now? Well, the kingdom that's going to come and then, and then one day be established on earth, it's in heaven. So your reward in heaven is truly great. It's a place where there'll be no more sin, suffering, sorrow, tears, injustice, racism, all of that will be gone forever and ever when King Jesus will come and rule in his final rule and reign. That reward in heaven is great. Amen? It's great. Reminded me of a song I thought I'd sing for you now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, soul, are you weary <clears throat> and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. <clears throat> There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. And then the refrain says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Friends, while you still have chance, live for Christ. Look into the beautiful word of God and to the Beatitudes and say, is this me? Lord, do I, do I really want to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever? Is this me, Lord? And if you have questions regarding that, just come talk to me. I'd love to share with you what it looks like and means to walk in the abundant life that Jesus offers all of us. So let your light shine. Be the salt of the world while you can. And be aware of the assurance of persecution and suffering and insults because of your love of Christ. And never forget, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.